three. You're listening to Sports Talk Chicago with your host, John Zaglul. John, I am fantastic. Thank you for having me. You got an awesome voice, man, and that was a terrific <laughs> intro. You're like a pro's pro. You know, that was the first time somebody ever said that, John. No, you're the first person to ever say anything like that. That's, that's very interesting. You got it, John. Anything for a fellow Chicago guy? <laughs> well, what a great question. That's a great question. Nobody's actually asked me that. <laughs> I like it. What a great question. I never heard that before. Chase, wait, wait, Chase Utley is what? You're saying he's not a Hall of Fame candidate? You know, it's it's funny. I, I, You may be the only person that I've heard make that connection. Thank you, John, for having me. I'm doing great. By the way, you have an outstanding voice. I'm not sure about your face because I haven't met you, but your voice is great. You're doing a much better job than I ever did. You've had some heavy hitters uh, guests on too, man, so keep up the good work, but it's good to be with you, and I'm ready to talk sports. Hello, everybody, and welcome into Sports on Chicago. My name's John Zaglore. Great to have you here. Today's edition of the program, The Bear. Made one signing in free agency, but the wide receiver market's pretty thin. Talk about it in just a second. Host a brand new interview today with Sal Licata, the host of WFAN and Sportsnet New York. We talk with him extensively about his career, some Giants and Mets news, and so much more. It's a great interview. Comes your way near the midway point of this show. Remember, you can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at John Z Sports and on Facebook at John Zaglul. If you want to watch more of this show, search up Sports Talk Chicago, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube, SportsTalkChicago.com. I want to start today with this. Patience is a virtue. You've probably heard that a hundred times at this point. I have, but I'm only 22. But it really is true. Might sound like a cliche. Might sound like, okay, yeah, we got to be patient, got to wait things out. But it really is true, especially for the Bears here in free agency. I'll be honest, yesterday when I saw all these big names go off the board, especially wide receivers, I got very concerned, even a bit frustrated. What the hell are the Bears doing? Why aren't they signing anybody? They have some money to spend, even with the Khalil Mack dead cap hit. They have a lot of cap space. Why are they doing nothing? Why are they so quiet and waiting so long for this market to develop? I got worried. I got concerned, and I panicked a bit. I guess, fortunately, I'm making this video today, and not yesterday. could have been a completely different response. Then I thought things over. I evaluated the needs that they have. Thought about the cap space, what Ryan Pohl said he would do, and what the Bears have done in the past. And I realized something. This is actually good. It is. What do we know Ryan pays for? Everybody. Giving out stupid, and I mean stupid, contracts. Overpaying guys, giving out too much money, cap-strapping the team, and forcing less money for things you need, like offensive line help, wide receivers, cornerbacks. Ryan Pace was well-known for this. The Bears never had any money to spend under him. The cap room was negative in some cases. They weren't even cap-compliant in some off-seasons because of him and his bad spending policies. Obviously, he was fired. Part of that was the reason. Well, I say this to Bears fans. Would you rather have a Ryan Pace round two or Ryan Poles round one? 
I'm okay with polls waiting out the market to see what happens. Now, it could backfire in terms of this year's players, this year's roster, but it's a good exercise for the future, too. Right now, the Bears, admittedly, are in a bit of a pickle when it comes to wide receivers. But they made a pretty good move yesterday in bolstering their defense. Larry Ogunjobi took him away from the Bengals for a three-year deal worth $40.5 million. Here's what ESPN had to say about Ogunjobi and what he brings to the table. This player had a lot of buzz entering free agency due to his pass rush ability from the defensive tackle spot. The Bengals got him in a one-year steal last year, and that wasn't going to happen again. But he missed a chunk of the season with a foot injury that reportedly required surgery. This made his $13 million per year deal a bit steep. Many teams thought he'd get around $10 million still. He's a disruptive player for a team that needs one after the Bears lost Eddie Goldman and Akeem Hicks. Ogan Joby was a disruptive presence for the Bengals before he got hurt, unfortunately. Put up some good numbers last year, seven sacks in 16 games. Before that, played a lot in Cleveland. I don't find it a bad signing. In fact, I almost take back what I said about the Khalil Mack trade. Here's why. Seven sacks, 16 games, plus an injury, hopefully he recovers, three years for $13 million apiece. To me, that's a much better bargain than paying Khalil Mack is 20-plus million for the next couple of years. So there's a lesser average annual value on this contract, and you may get the same production, if not more, if he falls out with the Bears' defense. Great move. Actually, a very shrewd move by Ryan Poles, and I love that word, shrewd. Didn't overpay too much. I mean, ESPN said they did, but they really didn't. Not compared to Khalil Mack. $13 million, $10 million, who cares about that? At least it's not 24 26 for years to come. Talking about $13 million, three years, productive player, at least this past year, not a bad signing at all by Ryan Poles, and it bolsters the Bears' defense. That's really the only big signing the Bears have made so far. I like it. I hope there's some more, but patience. Servitivism. Fiscal responsibility. That is Ryan Poles, at least for now. And I have to say, I love it. I love the fiscal responsibility. There's no messing around here. There's no overpaying for guys that the Bears sometimes don't even need, like what Ryan Pace did. He's doing what he needs to do to bolster this team. Now, they still need some help. Um, Quarterback, of course. Wide receiver, offensive line. None of that's happened yet as of this recording, but still, I'll take what you can get. And at this point, $13 $13 million for a good defensive tackle who had seven sacks in 16 games versus 24 to $26 million for Khalil Mack, who had around the same number in less games. Not a bad move. Knew what he was doing. And I take back what I said about the Khalil Mack trade. Actually, now it's a win. Now we see some sort of replacement, albeit I know Mack is more so a linebacker, but still we see some sort of replacement for Khalil Mack. This is the logical replacement Cost about ten to fifteen million dollars less, and you may get the same production. To me, that's a huge win for Brian Pauls. It shows off his ability to not only recognize talent, but also be responsible with money. That is so important. Remember, the NFL, not Major League Baseball. There is a salary cap. You have to be cap compliant. But even more than that, the Bears have other needs. Losing Cleo Mack sucked. They needed some sort of replacement that'd be more so a budget option, and they did that here. This is a budget signing, yet it will lead to increased production. 
or at least the same production for a much better price. Love the move. Good job, Brian Pauls. Just one problem. Only one. Who are the Bears going to sign or bring in at wide receiver? Sure, many of you have been following the latest in free agency in the NFL. A lot of guys off the board. Now, I will say this. The Bears did a great job in not overpaying for guys that weren't worth it. I don't know if you saw the Jaguars. They paid Christian Kirk, a guy who's never had a 1,000-yard season, $20 million annually. Hey, say what you want about Allen Robinson. I'd rather pay him $20 million than Christian Kirk. Christian Kirk is a nobody in the NFL. Put out a tweet saying, oh, I deserve this. No, you don't. You suck. You've been a number two or number three in some cases in Arizona for the past couple of years. Now, all of a sudden, you're getting paid number one salary? Ridiculous. If the Bears did that, I would come on here and I would lose it. But they didn't. They didn't. Remaining options at this point, Juju Smith-Schuster, Allen Robinson, and Jarvis Landry is on the board. Also, Gage was, but he just got recently picked up by Tampa Bay. Going to go with Tom Brady. The Bears don't have many options. That's the scary part. That said, I'm a little bit calmer knowing they didn't overpay for guys who they shouldn't have. It sucks for Justin Fields' sake. I don't know who he's going to throw to next year besides Darnell Mooney at this point. I don't see Allen Robinson coming back. We've talked about this a number of times on the program. Allen, his agent, are not happy with the Bears, and the Bears aren't happy with him. And the fan base is not happy with him. There is no way he's going to subject himself coming back here on a reduced rate or even the same rate and deal with what happened last year. There's no way. Even with the new regime, everybody's called him out and said, you know, he hasn't shown any effort, hasn't played hard. He's going to be gone. He's not coming back to this situation. A lot of other teams want him to. And if Christian Kirk didn't pay $20 million per year, you better believe Alan Robinson and his agent are going to look for the same thing. So Robinson's out of the picture. You really have two options, big options, be a free agency at this point. Juju Smith-Schuster and Jarvis Landry. I guess Marquez Valdez-Scantling, too, is also on the board, but I don't like that signing at all unless it's for the right price, which is less than $10 million per year. Because you know what he is? A number three or a number four in Green Bay. I don't like the hype for Valdez-Scantling only because I know him. We've watched him play for a number of years in Green Bay. He's been a number three, number four max. Really, a number three, number four max for a number of years. It's obviously Devontae Adams at number one. Alan Lazard just got a new deal. Um, He was a number two, number three. They had Randall Cobb in and out, and now Valdez Scantling. He was not anything special, anything huge in Green Bay. He was a slot receiver. Did all right, but nothing insane, nothing where I would say, oh, let me pay top dollar for him. Away. The Bears have a bit of a pickle here when it comes to free agents, when it comes to wide receivers and free agency. At this point, Juju Smith-Schuster would be the best option, and that's not a bandwagon pick. Look, he's 25 years old, had a 1,000-yard season. He's dipped in production, which is interesting to know. But then again, he's got Big Ben throwing the ball five yards downfield. Big Ben had the lowest yards per attempt for passing the past two years in the NFL was 6.2. On average, he's thrown the ball for 6.2 yards per pass, hence why Chase Claypool and Najee Harris were better in that offense because they were right near the line of scrimmage running the route. Juju Smith-Schuster can go downfield, explosive wide receiver, only 25 years old, has a 1,000-yard season under his belt. I wouldn't mind paying for him 
and pairing him with Justin Fields, depending on the price. I'd say at most $15 million per year, and even then, that's pushing it a bit, but I'd be okay with that. I wouldn't freak out about it. As long as he's getting paid less than Christian Kirk, to be honest, I'm cool with it. <laughs> he should not get Christian Kirk money. Christian Kirk shouldn't get Christian Kirk money. But I think Juju Smith-Schuster would be the best choice at the moment. If Allen Robinson somehow came back, that'd be amazing. But it isn't going to happen just because of logistically, because of what happened last year, because of the hatred that fans have for him now. He's not going to come back to this organization. That's fine. I don't blame him. He can go. Go somewhere where you're going to be prioritized. Jarvis Landry is an interesting case. And again, for the right price, I wouldn't be opposed to it. Landry is always and has always been a productive wide receiver. I mean, keep this in mind, too. He was the preferred target for Baker Mayfield over Odell Beckham Jr. So Jarvis Landry is no jokeable wide receiver, been in the league a long time, always been respected, a couple of thousand-yard seasons. He's productive. And I'd love it if he came here to Chicago. You pair him up with Mooney, you trap somebody, great threesome at the wide receiver spot. He'd be the number one here. And in reality, he usually is a 1B type receiver. He's still a 1, but not necessarily top of the... Totem pole. Still, though, bring him in. Multi-year deal. Pay him decent money. He will be the de facto number one here in Chicago. Mooney the two. Draft somebody to be three. Not a bad idea at all. If you side Valdez Scantling, I won't be opposed if the money's right, but he will actually be a number two. That would make Darnell Mooney the number one. So keep this in mind. If they side Valdez Scantling, that's signaling to us that they believe Darnell Mooney has number one talent which is fine by me. I have no problem with that, but that's the signal you'll get if you see Valdez Scantling signed and nobody else. I mean, they want Darnell Mooney to really be the number one here and develop even more, and develop even further come next year. Obviously, him and Fields had a connection. 1,000-yard season last year, albeit they needed the extra game to get it, but still, Darnell Mooney's probably going to be the future. The Bears want to build around him at the wide receiving core, and that's not a problem, per se. That could be an option, too. So Ryan Poles has options here. His options when it comes to how much he wants to spend and options as to who he wants personnel-wise and what he wants to do with the wide receiving core overall. I wish I knew more about what they wanted to do, what direction they were looking in, but I will say this. They're high on Darnell Mooney. Everybody's high on Darnell Mooney, and it made sense after last year. Thousand-yard season. Preferred target for Justin Fields over Allen frickin' Robinson, who's a veteran. So obviously there's a connection. Wouldn't be a bad idea to keep him as the number one. You sign Marquez Valdez-Scantling for a smaller deal, save money on the wide receiving core, draft somebody. You got three decent wide receivers. Still not the best. Still could be better. There are better options on the market. Not a stupid idea. Wouldn't be opposed to it. That's my point. Would not be opposed to that strategy or the opposite. You spend some serious money. Go after Juju Smith-Schuster or even Jarvis Landry. And those would be great. Great signings. Certainly create buzz, but also provide Justin Fields with some sort of weaponry offensively. See, Ryan Poles is smart. Want to shift to this. Jacksonville paid Christian Kirk $20 million per year with the possibility for more based on incentives. Because of that happening, they actually had to make a cut, and they caught their star linebacker, Miles Jack. Jack led the Jaguars in tackles last year with 108. He was released today. Why? Can't pay him. Stupid move by Jacksonville. 
That's why I said again, I'm happy that Ryan Poles is not following in those footsteps, or else I really would be concerned. He's actually shown me a lot, Ryan Poles, so far in free agency. I'm genuinely impressed. I mean, it's way better than Ryan Pace, and at this point, I'll take that, and hopefully it gets even better. That's a great start, though. Here's a quote from Bears Wire. Quote, with the Bears switching to a 4-3 defense, they need to find two starters alongside Roquan Smith at linebacker. Smith is likely to play the weak side linebacker role, means Chicago needs a middle linebacker and a strong side linebacker, and Jack could be an option. If they get Jack, pair him with Roquan Smith, that linebacking core is going to be more than solid. You talk about a great defense. Then you add in Ogunjobi. I love it. I love the way the defense looks. Now, again, did not address the secondary per se, but pass rushing, tackling, great. And they need that. Every team needs that. Every team could use a guy who had 108 tackles last season, no matter what. The Bears could certainly use him and pair him with Roquan Smith. My goodness, that'd be a nice tandem at the linebacker spot. See, that's a lesson. The Jaguars should have never cut him. And they did. They paid Christian Kirk $20 million per year. Guys never had a 1,000-yard season. Think about that. Christian Kirk is about the same age, if not older, than Juju Smith-Schuster. No 1,000-yard season. Always known to be a number two, number three in Arizona. Gets paid $20 million. Juju Smith-Schuster, 1,000-yard season. Was at one point the number one. Now number one, number two. 25 years old. Who knows what he's going to get and where he's going to go. The Jaguars made a stupid move. They paid way too much money for Christian Kirk, and my goodness, I'm so happy the Bears didn't. Even if the Bears signed him, I would only pay him, seriously, around 10 to $12 million a year. I don't care if that's low-balling him, but that's, that's the truth. That's his production. He's not a number one, never at 1,000 yards. He should not be making more than 10 to $12 million a year, and even that's generous. It really is. Even that is a generous figure to me. I know the market dictates it, but still, I'm not going to sit there if I'm a GM and pay this guy $20 million when he's done nothing in the NFL. Do you even know who Christian Kirk is? Some people don't even know him. They haven't even heard of him. This is some number two, number three, who sat in Arizona for a number of years, done okay, all right. I mean, he had less yards or similar yards to A.J. Green. He's 34 years old. <laughs> Let's be real here about who he is and what he brings to the table. Not much. Going to go to Jacksonville, good for Trevor Lawrence, has some sort of wide receiver, but newsflash, he's not really a number one. So if you plan on building your wide receiving core around him, you're going to be very disappointed, to say the least. And that's what I mean about Ryan Poles. You could be disappointed that the Bears have done nothing, really, in free agency yet, but I see it this way. Don't be the Jaguars. <laughs> Man, $20 million per year for a number three wide receiver in the NFL, Ryan Poles, Got a pretty much bona fide replacement for Khalil Mack for half the price, $10 million, $12 billion less, and still has enough money to find potentially a number one wide receiver. There's still some out there, even though the position is a bit thinner. Even if they sign nobody, I'm actually not going to be that mad. At the end of the day, the Bears have to save cap room and look towards the future. I'd rather the Bears draft somebody, draft two, three wide receivers, try them all out, and sit here and spend an overpay for guys like Christian Kirk, or even Juju Smith-Schuster, Marquez Valdez-Scantling, whomever it might be. That's why so far, Ryan Poles, for me, actually gets an A. I mean it right now. Ryan Poles gets an A for free agency. I love the patience. 
completely different from Ryan Pace. He's not doling out money that he can't spend. And he made one move that was shrewd, and it made sense. You lost Khalil Mack. You need a pass rusher. Got somebody. For $10 to $12 million less. Thank you. Sign me up right away. You didn't pay for Christian Kirk. Didn't pay for him and then have to release somebody, too, for cap purposes. Now you could capitalize even on the Jaguars' mistake, bring in Jack, and pair him up with Roquan Smith. Playing the long game. I like it. Ryan Poles has shown me a lot. I have nothing but praise for him at the moment. Now we're going to have to see what he does in the draft, what trades he may concoct, and how this team looks next year. But on paper right now, based on cap room, based on talent, based on the market, I think he's done everything he should have done in free agency. You might be disappointed that the Bears have not made a big splash or spent tons of money. But you know what? I go back to my beginning. Patience is a virtue. Rather, the Bears have a lot of cap space, not waste money on guys like Christian Kirk, then pull a Ryan Pace and dole out hundreds of millions of dollars that you can barely spend to become non-cap compliant. I'd rather you have cap space. I'd rather you have a means to sign guys, not just now, but in the future, and not be cap-strapped. Ryan Pose has done everything right, and even though there might be some frustration about not signing guys right away, the fact is there are still some names out there, and the Bears could still make a decent enough splash to look good, not just for next year, but for the future, too. More to come here on Sports Talk Chicago. My interview with Sal Licata comes up next, so stay tuned. And we are back and ready for today's special guest. He's the host of the Overnight Shift and WFAN, the king of sports radio rants. Please welcome Sal Licata to the program. Sal, it's great to have you on. How are you? Thanks for having me, John. Pretty good. How are you? Doing great. Thanks for being here. How did you become so well-known for your rants? Uh, I don't even know that I am so well-known. <laughs> uh, look, I just do a, and I appreciate the kind words, I just do a talk show that uh, it's true to myself. I'm not trying to, and, and I don't even love, I mean, I know what you're saying. And like a lot of times they'll post the clips and say, oh, rant alert, rant <laughs> alert. And I guess technically it is a rant. I honestly don't even love a lot of that stuff. It's just, they happen to catch me during a show and people like it, I guess, but I'm not doing that on purpose. It just comes out during the course of a talk show or call or get you mad or a topic gets you fired up and it kind of just happens. So I think the thing that I do on a consistent basis that leads to those rants or explosions or whatever is just a passionate sports talk show. I love what I do. I love New York sports. So when you bring that passion, sometimes you get a little fired up and that leads to the rant eventually. Who's the angriest caller you've ever had on the fan? The caller being angry? Correct. Um... I don't know if I could pick out just one, especially by name. You know, remember, you're taking a lot of different calls every single night. But the, the ones that bother me are the ones that either, A, don't understand the point that I'm trying to make, or B, and maybe more specifically B, come at me with some sort of disrespect or try to antagonize me. And just, if you're disrespectful to me, that is a, like, that, that right there is the, the lightning sign 
that I need <laughs> to get me going. They'll come on and immediately like with the call. Yeah, Sal, I don't like the way you're doing this. And now I'm okay. Now I'm already triggered. And then we start getting into the conversation. I'll try to convince them of my argument and have them understand and comprehend what I'm talking about. And then they don't get it. They're not listening. And that just infuriates me. So I don't know if I could pick one out. Um, and there are a lot of, there's so many calls and, and some very good ones. Even some guys that I yell at are guys that call regularly and I still, you know, have a, a you know, a, a working relationship with. I like when they call up the show and we could yell at each other a little bit, but I don't have one in particular. How about your best roast to a caller? The best way you roasted a caller who called in, you came back at him and got him. Um, another tough one. I don't know if I could just <laughs> pick one. I forget what it was over, but there was uh, maybe it was something with Dan Quinn, let's say the former Falcons head coach who was rumored to be getting a Giants job. I think, you know, the, people were calling and saying, oh, why don't you like him? And why don't you like Dan Quinn? And I would have facts why I don't like him. He blew a 28 to three lead in the Super Bowl. He shouldn't have got the job to begin with. He took over ready-made team. You know, and just the way that I would tell the call is like, okay, and now with the final fact, now I'm going to bury you. So I, I just think it happens. I don't know if I've necessarily roasted a caller before, but obviously in the course of a debate, I feel strongly about my side. And generally I back it up with facts, not just opinion. Those would be situations where sometimes a caller who hasn't done this for a living for almost 20 years, maybe they wouldn't be as prepared in that situation. So anytime like that, that one comes to mind that I remember saying before I buried him on the air saying, okay, well now I'm going to bury you with this final point. Sal Licata here on Sports Talk Chicago. Sal, what are the Giants going to do at quarterback? I think it's going to be Daniel Jones for now. I mean, it doesn't seem, and look, maybe they draft somebody. I would like to see that. I don't love Daniel Jones, but I think this particular year, with the thought of not having many, uh, you know, top quarterbacks available in the draft doesn't mean there isn't one or won't be one that's going to be any good, but not that surefire or those surefire type guys. As a matter of fact, this probably means that there are going to be guys that will have success because usually it doesn't matter if you think there are surefire guys or not. You never know what the NFL draft these quarterbacks, but it doesn't seem like there's a clear cut option for the Giants. So I think Daniel Jones for now is going to get the opportunity to maybe showcase what he can be to a new regime with a new head coach in Brian Dable, new general manager in Joe Shane. They've already added a couple of pieces trying to rebuild that offensive line in front of him. I know that that was a big talking point. And don't get me wrong, the offensive line was bad, but Daniel Jones in general, he has been bad himself. So I think you could have seen signs in him that you would say, ah, you know what, I think he's got it. But if he could just get help from an offensive line, I don't think that's the case, but I do think the Giants are going to give him one more chance, more so maybe at a default that they really don't have a better option, and they're screwed salary cap-wise, so they can't go out there and bring in a quarterback. There was talk that they might bring in Mitch Trubisky to kind of push Daniel Jones. He obviously went to the Steelers, but I think right now it's a clear-cut Daniel Jones, his job uh, this coming season, and probably not beyond that, barring some kind of renaissance from Daniel Jones. Were you expecting this out of him when the Giants drafted him? Were you high on that draft pick at first? No, I wasn't. I don't know anybody in New York that was uh, taking, you know, uh, a kid out of Duke with, what, the sixth overall pick or whatever it was that they, they took him. They ended up, uh, you know, taking him higher than most Giant fans expected. And I know a lot of people like Dwayne Haskins. I can tell you that I didn't want Dwayne Haskins. 
That was for sure. I just didn't like what I saw from him out of Ohio State. But I didn't love the pick of Daniel Jones. More than that, though, was how they built the team kind of backwards, taking a running back number two with Saquon Barkley before that, not really building the offensive line. And then Dave Gettleman salivating over the idea of Daniel Jones. Now, I watched Daniel Jones when he first got to the Giants in preseason, and I was impressed. I thought he looked like, okay, he looks a little more polished than your traditional rookie. He did have a successful year one uh, by by a lot of accounts, a successful year one, and then it was just complete regression. And in year four, if you're making the same mistakes that you were in year one, that's a problem. Now, by the Giants' own admission, they didn't put him in a position to succeed with different head coaches, different schemes, different coordinators, bad offensive line, lack of good weapons around him, whatever. So I think there were other circumstances too, but just Daniel Jones, the player, the thing I don't love about him, the turnovers, the injury prone nature of his game, and just not really, he doesn't have any touch or feel for the position. So I think there are some good things. He has a big arm and he stands tall in the pocket and he could run a little bit, but all the negatives to me outweigh that. So I was never thrilled about the Daniel Jones pick. I did like him the first season and the preseason as well, or as early as the preseason. But after watching him, now Daniel James, to me, he's like Ryan Tannehill, and I don't think Ryan Tannehill's any good. How do you think he compares to Justin Fields here in Chicago? I mean, I like Justin Fields. I like the upside. You, I don't watch him as much as I've watched Daniel Jones for four years, but I like Justin Fields, and I liked his guts with you know, him in the playoffs in Ohio State before he got drafted. Um you know, look, it's different. I think we need to see a little bit more of Fields, right? And his ability to stay healthy and his ability to make plays. I liked Fields. I didn't love Justin Fields, though. And I don't know what it is. It's hard to, you know, judge sometimes these quarterbacks coming out of college. He had a good college career field, and he has some of the tools uh, that you would look at. And maybe Fields, a good comparison to a guy like Jalen Hurts, let's say. And I like Jalen Hurts in Philly. But there are issues there too, and people don't necessarily love Jalen Hurts, and and Philadelphia may still be looking to find you know their franchise quarterback. So uh, I like Fields. Put it this way: if you're asking me if I'd rather have Fields or Daniel Jones, yeah, I'd rather have Justin Fields right now because <laughs> I think the potential or the upside is still there. Where I think Daniel Jones has showed his ceiling as a as a quarterback in the NFL. Do you have any faith that Jones will turn it around this year with a new head coach and new GM? No. I don't, uh, but it is possible. I mean, just because I don't have any faith in him, I think it is possible. Another new system, uh, Jones has shown that he could have some success in the league in year one. Like I said, a lot of turnovers, but still made some plays. I think he might be better than what we've seen the last two, three years, but I still don't think it's something that I would trust moving forward. Too injury prone and too many mistakes, even if it's not just fumbling the football, which he kind of fixed from his first year, he got a little bit better with that, but making too many mistakes in big spots, forcing the issue, like I said, not knowing when the rush is coming, when the pressure is coming, not having that feel, not having a touch on the football. Everything is 100 miles an hour down the field, hard, fast. And he's got a big arm and he uses it, but there are sometimes you want to have some touch, put some air under the football. And I don't think Jones does that well enough. So just me personally evaluating him as a quarterback I've seen enough to where I wouldn't trust it moving forward. Could he have an aberration of a good year, or just could he have a year that may show you that he's still got something left? Sure, but then what is the Giants? Then you're gonna, what are you gonna do now? Okay, off of one year, you're gonna forget the last three and decide that he's gonna be your guy moving forward. I think that could get you in trouble. So I would look to go in a different direction as soon as they could with the salary capped, or assuming that you know with the draft they they find a player that they like. 
What about the new regime? How do you evaluate Dable and, and the new GM coming in? I like what Joe Shane's done so far. I mean, he's got limited options. The, the number one thing he said is we, you know, they're going to try to be competitive at the same time as clear up that salary cap mess. So with the salary cap mess, what are you supposed to do? And they're trying to figure out a way to create um, some money. They, like I said yesterday, they signed two offensive linemen, not huge signings, but for them, anything to try to repair the offensive line is going to be important. And there are still plenty of moves to be made. We know they have a lot of draft picks, so that's going to be of high importance. But I think when you look at the Giants, you know, they're not going to be a team that's going out there and trying to compete for a wild card spot this particular year. So Joe Shane has taken over a mess. It's very early on in the regime. We're going through right now the free agency period, trying to clear the salary cap space, seeing how he can build a little bit of a team before the draft and then the draft. And with Dable, you know, we don't know yet. I, yeah, I like the opening press conference. I like things that I've heard from him. But that, what, what does that mean? I've liked that before from other guys. I love Joe Judge opening press conference. So we'll see what Dable and Joe Shane uh, can do here. But I do get the feeling that the Giants are finally headed in the right direction, that there's some stability with the organization. These were good hires. I wouldn't have hired Dable to be my head coach necessarily. I understand. I think there were so many great chance, uh, great options out there. So I wouldn't have gone with Dable, but I understand why they did. And the familiarity with Joe Shane and Brian Dable, I think that's going to be a, a bonus for this team. And I finally think the Giants now have a tandem that will be here, win or lose. They'll be here for the next at least four seasons. And then you evaluate from there how it worked out. But I think they're in good hands with Shane and Dable. Who would you have preferred and head coach? Well, I mean, Jim Harbaugh would have been the number one guy for me. You're talking about guys with, you know, Great, and Harbaugh to me was the best of the bunch. A, a big name, good pedigree. Josh McDaniels, one of my favorites out there. I've always said getting a second opportunity, he was going to be great wherever he ends up. Obviously, he ends up with the Raiders now. He would have been another guy. I mean, I wouldn't have been opposed to Doug Peterson who won a Super Bowl. I thought it was important to hire an established head coach for the Giants. They've gone, you know, they went with the with the unknown with Joe Judge. They went with the retread with Pat Shermer, and it didn't work out. They went with the assistant with their own assistant with Ben McAdoofus, and he didn't work out. So they had to – Harbaugh would have been the home run for any team, and it turns out nobody signed him. So that would have been the home run for me. But you, I mentioned the other guys, McDaniels. Oh, I love Brian Flores too. I mean, this was before, obviously, uh, the lawsuit and all that happened. I, I thought Flores – even afterward, I thought Flores was uh, – but obviously afterward you knew that there was no way that they were going to – hire him so I thought Flores was a top candidate a guy that I would have looked for so there were some other guys that I liked before Brian Dable but I understand why Dable ended up getting the job now Licata here on Sports Talk Chicago Sandler the Mets World Series bound this year I'm not going to make that prediction but I do think they are legitimate World Series contenders I think the Mets are a little thin you look at their lineup they could use another outfielder they could use a I mean, they don't need another infielder, but I would like somebody that could play a little outfield and third base, but like a legitimate outfielder. Right now, that guy would be Jeff McNeil. He's okay in the outfield, but he's not a true outfielder. And I can live with it, I guess, but I still think they need one more bat, probably from the outfield. So I think they're a little thin in the lineup, but I do like this team. I love the manager. I think he's going to you know, tidy things up, get guys to, to be a little more buttoned up and help them get better in New York, Francisco Lindor in particular. So I think you'll see some improvements from Lindor, maybe a guy like James McCann as well. They have the advantage now of a DH, so that should help their lineup. It's just a matter of who's going to be the DH. They, I, I still don't think they're done making moves. But you look at their pitching, DeGrom, Scherzer, and now Chris Bassett from the A's. 
find me a better top three in Major League Baseball with the rotation. I don't love the bullpen, but I think it'll be fine. And a bullpen is always something that you can build in season, year to year, with the fickle nature of bullpens. You never know what you're getting anyway. But with those with those top three in the rotation, how could you not be contenders? Their offense is at least decent enough, and their starting pitching is as dominant on paper as you can have. So, yeah, I think they are legitimate World Series contenders. Now, they have some work to do. They have to beat the Braves, and until proven otherwise, Atlanta's the champs, not just World Series champs, but, you know, clearly in the National League East, the Mets have work to do there. Then you look at the Dodgers and what they've done in the postseason and all the other challenges that are going to come about throughout the course of this year. So the Mets have to prove themselves, but obviously on paper going in, they're a team that could easily, uh, maybe not easily, maybe that's pushing, but they're a team that you could see contending for a World Series. No, you were adamant about Buck Showalter being hired. Why were you so emphatic about getting him for the Mets? Well, because he's a real manager. So, I mean, you know, going through, and I like Luis Rojas, and I do think he could be a good manager one day, but after Mickey Calloway, who was the furthest thing from a real manager, and watching Luis Rojas, who was an inexperienced, uh, I hate to even say manager, in today's day and age, I use the term data applicator for a lot of these guys. (laughs) Well, Buck Showalter is a real manager, a proven manager, you're not talking about a guy who's getting a second opportunity, but getting another opportunity, a final opportunity, coming back to New York, yeah, on the other side of town, but has unfinished business as he left the Yankees, you know, after getting fired in 1995, and they go on and have a dynasty. You know, that could have been Buck Showalter, and he's built up other teams, whether it be the Diamondbacks or the Rangers or the Orioles, and he's gotten close, he's gotten to the playoffs, but he's never gotten over the hump. I feel like it's the perfect storm where, the franchise is ready. Steve Cohen takes over. They're spending money. They're putting the pieces in place. And they needed a real manager who knows what he's doing here in the dugout. And they have that with Showalter, the best one available. And now you have an advantage basically every single night in the dugout with Buck Showalter. You know you don't have to worry about that part of the ball game at all with him. And I just think it eliminates a concern and gets a guy who himself, you know, there's one thing left for him to do. That is win a World Series. So everybody's on the same page, same goal. This is not a rebuilding job. This is not a, oh, let's change the face of the team and, and hire a veteran. No, this is a, hey, you need a World Series. We need a World Series. And it's the perfect marriage to me in New York to boot after getting fired from the Yankees way back in 1995. So I love Buck Showalter. Obviously, the guy's just a great manager. His baseball mind, all that he's done, I think he's... And this will be the best opportunity that he's had taking over team that is ready-made. This is not, okay, well, three years, I'm going to build them into winners. So it'll also be a challenge. And, uh, you know, we're going to see if there's a difference with Buck. Generally, he's great at building a team up and making them playoff contenders, but now taking over a World Series contender... How's that going to go? I think it's going to work out well for Buck and the Mets. Who wins more games this year, the Yankees or the Mets? Um, now, remember, the Yankees aren't done making moves. Right. I, I hate I hate saying the Mets just because, you know, I, first of all, I grew up a Mets fan, so it sounds maybe a little biased there. The Yankees, in a bad year, win 92 games. The Mets, generally, for everything to go right, win about 92 games. So... <laughs> I, I always would lean Yankees because they've done it, but I do think the Mets right now are a better ball club, especially right now as we tape this where, you know, the Yankees still don't have a first baseman. I'm not so sure they're going to end up with Freddie Freeman. If they bring Anthony Rizzo back, is that really an upgrade? I think it's an upgrade over Luke Voigt, but is it really an upgrade from what we saw last year? And I like the trade the Yankees just made, getting rid of Gary Sanchez, bringing in a defensive catcher and a defensive shortstop, changing the culture of that clubhouse mm-hmm with Josh Donaldson bringing in a guy with some edge. But I still think the Mets, with DeGrom, Scherzer, Bassett, 
hard to believe the Mets would not be a better team. But, you know, we've seen crazier things happen. So I think it'll be close, but I'll probably side with the Mets by a game or two, let's say. More to come with Sal in just a moment. Stay tuned. Vince Yanks, Sports Talk Chicago. Alicata still here on Sports Talk Chicago. Sal, a few more questions before we finish up. First off, your career. How'd you start? Well, I got an internship out of a broadcasting school at WFAN back in 2003. And that was basically it. I mean, I, I met Bob Husler, who is a you know legendary sports anchor for WFAN at the broadcasting school that I went to. He got me an internship. And then I got in and just kind of worked my way up. You learn how to cut tape and you learn how to uh, run the board and you learn how to then produce. And then eventually I got a full-time job there producing and doing all the stuff behind the scenes, working with the guys that I grew up listening to, Steve Summers, Mike and the Mando, all these guys. And then I got an on-air opportunity and, you know, I knew that was always the goal and it was a long road, you know, it's just not, oh, hey, you get an opportunity and then boom, you're a, a full-time talk show host. No, it took me a long time. First show I think I ever did on air was, I want to say 2006. So it would be three years after my internship. And I didn't get full time on the air until November of 2021. So wow. you do the math. It's a long time. And, you know, I, I left the fan. I came back to the fan. I ended up doing some TV at SNY. I'm still doing that. I've been there for 12 years. So I, I love that as well. I left fan to go to WOR radio and then came back again. So there's been some comings and goings and it's been a long winding road, but ultimately uh, very happy with where it led to, which was the ultimate goal always being full time at, at WFAN, but started as an intern and basically worked my way up and have been trying to become on the air ever since and, and fortunate to be able to have that opportunity. What prompted your rise? How'd you go up from producer now to being on air? Um, well, it's a great question. So I told you about the on-air work behind the scenes or, or the work behind the scenes. And then I was doing some on-air work at a part-time basis. And then I started working on, you know, the Mike and the Mad Dog show. And Mike would give me an opportunity after Dog left to do some stuff on-air with him because he always believed in me. And I think that gave me some exposure, which helped me after I left WFAM that helped me get on-air at SNY. And I went from being a full-time board op slash producer at the fan to being a part-time on-air person at SNY. And then I got back into radio. I did some shows in Florida from my home, but I did some shows in Florida on the weekend, tried to get better doing radio. Uh, then I ended up getting an opportunity to go back to WFAN. So then I started doing a little radio part-time filling in along with SNY. Then I left WFAN to go do part-time radio at WOR. When they became the home of the Mets, I was doing sports talk shows on OR. So this whole time I'm doing part-time shows, but I'm getting better at becoming a talk show host, also doing the TV stuff as well. So, and then I came back to WFAN knowing that at some point, some of the legendary guys, Tony Page, Steve Summers, you know, Francesca, Benigno, whoever, you know, at some point these guys may retire and maybe they'd be an opportunity for a full-time job or for more regular work. And that's kind of exactly what happened. I came back I think like a year before Tony Page retired, and then that led to more consistent part-time shifts. And then after that, you know, um, Mike left and Beningo left and Summers ended up leaving and, and all these guys leaving created some new opportunities. 
for uh you know for younger people at the radio station and i was fortunate enough to be able to get one of those so it's a long road of doing fill-in shows and doing overnights and weekends and different opportunities at different radio stations and then just being in the right spot right time to where something opens up you you know you hope that you can get uh an opportunity and i did and here we are how do you manage doing overnight radio you just have to, you know, you have to figure out a way. I'm still trying to learn to manage it, but you have to figure out a way to balance your schedule and your time. And it's very difficult. It's not just that. It's also I have the other job with SMY, so I still do both. And, you know, then, you know, my wife and I just had a baby 11 months old. So you're managing that as well. It, the shows themselves could be challenging just because it's the middle of the night. And sometimes, you know, especially when there's no sports going on, which thankfully right now we don't have that problem anymore with the baseball lockout ending, but it can be challenging five hours by yourself, limited calls, limited sports topics. And you're, you're talking about the energy on the overnight, but I, I just think that a, you have to love what you do. B you have to figure out a way to get proper rest and sleep, whether it's naps, whether it's just, you know, six hours straight and, you know, eating right, keeping your energy up, all things like that to be able to function at three in the morning, you know, where you're in the middle of a show and maybe you're, you know, you've already rehashed all the topics that you wanted to hit that night and you got to come up with something. So it's still a challenge for me. It's something that I'm learning, uh, that I'm still learning. I've been trying to learn since last April, coming up on a year that I was doing the overnights five nights a week. I wasn't full time until November but I took over doing the overnight schedule since last April. So, and it's not something I've mastered yet. And from a lot of the callers who are regular overnight workers themselves, that's why they listen and call in the overnight from their uh, advice, uh, what they seem to say is you never master the overnight schedule, but I want to make it different. I want to dominate the schedule as opposed to having it dominate me in the beginning. I was getting dominated. Now I'm trying to find my rhythm here. And I think right now we're at least, on a level playing field and hopefully one day soon I can start to dominate the overnight schedule, but it is a challenge for sure. So before we finish up today, last question, how'd you react to Greg Giannotti prank calling your show? <laughs> well, I didn't know it was him at first, obviously. <laughs> so, uh, it was funny when I found out, uh, that it was him and I forget the details of it. Um, but you know, I'm in the middle of a show in the middle of the overnight or toward the end of the show. Uh, you know, maybe tired and, and looking forward to the end of the show so I could go get some sleep. So it wasn't like I was as sharp maybe as I could be, but I had no idea. You know, Giannotti with the voices, he's very good at, at changing it up a little bit. So I just thought it was a regular crazy overnight caller. And then I found out afterward that it was him, uh, which was obviously pretty funny. Uh, <laughs> yeah, but at the time I had no idea. So I was just treating him like I would any other caller. I'm sure he could get me again, by the way, because you're not <laughs> even even there are people, John, there are people that call that I know and that I'm friends with. They'll call the show expecting me to like know who they are, whatever it could be. Joe in, in you know New Haven or, or Boston. And I'm like, OK, Joe in Boston. I have no idea that it's like my, the best friend that I grew up with or so, I, you know, you don't. Uh, you're just in a zone. I'm not thinking of real life or I'm not thinking I'm getting pranked. I'm thinking of just getting through a talk show and doing the talk show. So you're in the moment like that. It's very easy to be fooled. And I had no idea that it was Gio. Well, Sal, thank you so much for joining me. Really appreciate the time and best wishes for the overnight shift at WFAN and at Sportsnet New York. Really appreciate it. Thank you, John. I appreciate it as well. Thanks for having me and best of luck with your career as well. Right talk there with Sal Licata, and that'll do it for us today here on Sports Talk Chicago. Big thank you to Sal Licata himself, Matt Tubio, WCKG, Jim DeTobin, to Marble Entertainment for making this show a success. Remember, 
Follow me on Twitter and Instagram at John Z Sports and on Facebook at John Z Gluel. You want to watch more of this show? Search up Sports Talk Chicago on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube, sportstalkchicago.com. Another great show comes to you tomorrow. Thank you so much for listening. Till then, stay safe. So long, everyone. No! No! Where are the turtles?